Theology Thursday live post-millennium. Um, I almost hit three o'clock. It's amazing the things that can go wrong. Um, so, <clears throat> as we are talking about all things, not all things, but things eschatological, having to do with the end times, since we are in a time when people keep talking about the end times, and um, so thought it would be good for us, for me at least, to talk about end times things. So we've gotten ourselves to the point that we are talking about the millennium. And the millennium, uh, just as a word, it's also called the Killianism too, C-H-I-L, Killiest, um, having to do with a thousand years. So in the book of Revelation, it talks about a thousand year reign of Christ. And we have to do something with that. What is it? So move my keys off my Bible. Um, there are three main schools of interpretation as far as what is going to happen as far as this thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, it's in the book of Revelation. Um, it is a number. Um, every number in the book of Revelation is symbolic. Some people don't take that number 1,000 as symbolic. I know, I gotta get, I'll get done by, by then, for sure. Um, Stan said, don't forget 357. So, um... Uh, did it, <laughs> um... Thousand-year reign of Christ, we're going to do it. It's three main... Uh, schools of thought as far as what does the thousand year reign of Christ have to do with church so let's look at it and um, we go to the book of Revelation chapter 20 um, verse 1 then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him in the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while." Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so you have this thousand-year reign of Christ. It talks about they came to life, these who had been persecuted and, and, and those who had been killed for a testimony of Christ. They come to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So the rest of the dead, I mean, pretty assume everybody understands that that means the dead outside of Christ. Um, bad players, those who do not have faith, um, so it's talking about the resurrection and things. So anyway, verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, okay, so we got this reign of Christ, whatever this is meaning, in this book of symbols, um, it's a, in the... Um, 
you know, we have to figure out, you know, and, and some people really do take um, apocalyptic literature in, in Revelation, some of it they want to take symbolically and some of it they don't. So, you, you know, you kind of have to be consistent. Anyway, I get ahead of myself. Um, so a thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Okay, so whoever they are, there are a lot of people. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came from heaven and consumed them. So not much of a, of a, of a battle. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the prophet, false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. And then you have the great white throne judgment of all people. So... The views of this are, and it's not hard, there's three main ones, pre, ah, post, okay? Pre-millennial, something's going to happen before the millennium. Ah, millennial position, which actually means no millennium. I think it's a misnomer. What it actually means is there's no literal um, reign of, there's no literal thousand-year reign of Christ. And then the post-millennial position, which talks about something that happens um, after the millennium. So I don't want to get confused on these things or be confusing on these things. So we're going to first take, I think this is a logical order in which to do it. We're going to look at the post-millennial position. Next week, we'll look at pre-millennialism. And I hope I can do that in one short video, but that's where we're going to get into where does all this dispensational stuff come in. All right, who are post-millennialists? They're Several, I had a list of people, but I uh, won't worry about that. But there are um, a lot of, uh, if you're a Reformed believer, whether you're you know, Reformed Baptist, non-nominational, Presbyterian, uh, you typically are either um, uh, post-mill or a-mill. There are some pre-mill guys, but you have to have certain things that you understand about that before you can get into that sort of thing. So, um, the main thing of post-millennialism is this thousand-year reign of Christ. Is That is a literal amount of time, and it would be different. Post-millennialists would say maybe it, maybe it is a figurative number, okay? So, they'll go along with that and say maybe it's not necessarily a thousand years, but it's a long period of time. But it is a period in which the, the, the world is continuing to, the, the gospel is going forth, over oh, maybe thousands of years, <coughs> already has been, but will continue for who knows how much longer. The gospel goes forth as the Great Commission has promised. Christ will build His church, and the world will become you know it, it may be like this, but the world will increasingly become Christian. Christianity will win out, and the world will be eventually one day basically everybody's a believer. Now, because Satan is let loose after a while, and we, they also, post-millennials, would believe in the assurance of salvation, um, there will be a lot of people who are apparently not believers during this time, but they are so surrounded by believers that they just sort of, you know, they go along to get along. And they're like, okay, whatever, but they're kind of carnal Christians, like what we would call them. They're not truly saved, but, you know, culturally, you know, if there's a time when the church is uh, believers in Christ is, are ruling, um, then um, you can see where it'd be a, a time of peace and prosperity, and the people who aren't necessarily believing all this, they're like, they're fine with it, and they're, you know, they're, they're being... Um, 
they're at peace too. But then there's going to come a time when Satan is let loose, and we're going to look at that in a little more detail. Um, and then um, those people who are not believers, there's going to be this great battle. So and I just read it, and Gog and Magog, it's basically it's just like saying you know Hitler and the Nazis or something like that. You know, it's just two bad players that are being representative here. So, um, but like the sands of the seashore. Now that means it's like as a innumerable, <laughs> innumerably large number of people. Uh, it's a finite number, but you know it's a large number of people. Um, the book I was reading just recently about post-millennialism kind of suggested that the numbers weren't be that great, but that to me goes contrary to what we just read about being this, the, 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 the numbers being the size of the sands of the sea, but, um, the sands of the sea, sands of the seashore, but um, it's agreed that this is a spiritual warfare that we're looking at here, that this is not taking up of physical arms, which it could involve that, but but basically, you're looking at spiritual warfare, and that what happens is um, there's this resurgence of of evil, where people um, not only drift away from the truth but rebel against the truth. They gather themselves together against God's elect, and they um, and they fight him. But as they surround the city, as it says, um, God sends fire down from heaven and destroys them. So. Um, the gospel wins. There's no uh, saints that lose. You're not um, having any uh, believers who stop being believers, uh, but that at the end of this, then there will be judgment. Okay, so I think that pretty much covers the position, but the main thrust of it is um, post-millennialists believe themselves, and it's called post-millennialists because that millennium time is after, that's when Jesus comes back, is um, after the millennium, a pre-millennial position. You have Christ coming back and he rules on this earth. But post-millennial, you have um, um, Christ ruling, uh, Christ returning in judgment. The final judgment and all these things are happening after the millennium. Ah, millennial mean, thinks that this is the time in the millennium Christ comes. So, <clears throat> I don't mean to mumble. Um so then Christ comes back, and then the dead are judged. Um, Satan and death, all this is ended. They're cast into the lake of fire, the great right throne judgment, and all these things that occur. Now, what you will see in all three of these positions, um, except for the pre-mill position, when they get into dispensationalism, they have a different plan for Israel and stuff. So that's where it gets a little shaky with dispensationalism. There's historic... <laughs> there's this, there's a group called Historic Premill, which um, they're not dispensational, but they believe that um, the millennial reign of Christ will be a physical reign of Jesus in Jerusalem. So he comes back and he physically reigns, and then um, at the and then at the end of this reign, some Satan is let loose, and and there's this time of you know we'll look at that more next time though. But you have to understand that. Um, in the Reformed camp, there are um, post-millennialists, there are amillennialists, and there are historic premillenarians. Why aren't they called premillennialists? Maybe they are. So, um, but dispensational theology is not is not sanctioned within Reformed theology. Okay, and there's reasons for that, and we'll look at some of that. So, just um, let me hit my notes real quick so make sure I've covered all this stuff. Pre-millennialism. All right, before I do that, I know my brain goes all over the place. Why does it matter? My wife is always pretty good because I'll get all in this stuff and, you know, I'm going to preach, you know, the my study rather than the results and, you know, and all these things can be interesting and they can be great 
uh, lectures and, uh, and, and classes you can learn, but, you know, what's the sermon? You know, the sermon is, teach me what the Word of God says. Tell me what the Holy Spirit intended in that writing for the original reading audience and then for, <laughs> you like that, and for us. Okay, so nothing in Scripture should be there just for mere information. We should be able to internalize the information, put it to use. It should be incarnative. It should make Jesus, um, we demonstrate the life of Jesus through us, that we are, that he is our head, we are his body, um, so that it should make a difference in the believer's life. So end times, what difference do the different end time views make? And I think, personally, we make much more of it than is necessary. However, it is an important issue that God has explained in several places. And we have to be careful because what we'll do is, is we'll have in our mind, this is the way it's going to work, and then we fit everything into the, our theology. That's called eisegesis, where you, the, you read into the Bible the things that you want to see exegesis is where you bring out of the Bible the things that are there. And that's difficult to do because we all have presuppositions. And and presuppositions are good. I mean, you have to go to the Bible some kind of presupposition, right, such as believing it's the Word of God or it's not the Word of God. You know, you're going to it with that presupposition, but we believe about the Word of God as living and active and sharpening to a sword, and it changes the believer. But you can fight that. You can you can be so hard-headed, and you can resist the Spirit in lots of ways, and in sinful ways, and sometimes God turns us over to that. And sometimes he will discipline us for us. And I think what we're seeing today in this world is an awful lot of discipline. Um, but these things are important. And, and here's the reason post-millennialists believe they're... Well, let me, the reason it's important is because it affects our psychology as far as what we're doing. If you, Stan knows about this, Stan's bad about coaching a football team that he is convinced has no chance of winning. I mean, it's been years, you guys. I don't know if you've been on any of his teams. He's not talking about your team. But every now and then, he'll be coaching some team, and he's like, there's no way we're going to win. You know? And I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, he's a good coach. He knows what he's talking about. He certainly doesn't tell his team that. I don't think so. And then he, he goes forth and he does the best he can. But And he doesn't play a game thinking that we're going to lose. There's no worth use trying. He gives it his best best because he wants to give it his best so what a post-millennialist person says we're gonna win the gospel wins you need to play like the gospel wins you need to not retreat you need to share the gospel louder when it's hard times you need to make sure you have that bible you're meeting together you're doing the church work the great commission and they have reasons that they say that this is here's some verses they used um John 31, 34, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. I'm talking about in the new covenant. So they're saying there's going to be a day when everybody's going to know me. Um, sound. Malachi 1, 11, from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. 1 John 2, 2, um, to get, he gave himself a perpetuation for sins, not ours only, but for the whole world. John 3, 16, God loved the world. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. 1 John 4, 14, Jesus takes away the sins of the whole world. So they take those whole world passages and they'll say, well, yeah, obviously we're not universalist, which is what 
kind I think you end up being. I'm not. I'm an amillennialist, so if I've seen bias against this, that's why I don't think um, whole world right here means every single person in the world. And um, so, but I do think as um, see, I shouldn't have shared what I am. I believe that we will that the, the, the wheat and the tear grow together, tears grow together, that the, there will be a growth of the kingdom, that God has promised things. But what the post-millennials does, he uses these verses to say, no, what this is talking about is in the future, as the gospel goes forth, the world will be converted. But they don't believe every single person in the world will actually be converted either. Matthew thirteen thirty three, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of, of meal, until um, it was all leaven. So in other words, it, it gets in there and the whole thing is leaven. So you, you mix it. And so that's what the gospel is. Because the kingdom of heaven is like this. And I think we would we would all agree with that. But it doesn't make the lump, the lump doesn't turn into leaven. It, it grows the lump. The leaven grows, but it's in amongst that. So, you know, we are the light of the world. We are salt of the earth. We are to make a difference in this world. We are to provide this world with light. We are to provide this world with salt. We are to be able to stand up for biblical truth um, as God has revealed in his word and proclaim to the people of God what God would have for us to hear. And so, you know, we're all agreed that the gospel is to be preached, but for the the premillennialist, um, depending on how you do what you do with all these things, uh, especially the dispensational premillennialist, it just sounds such a, a hard thing to say, um, it's sort of a defeatist thing, you know, the world's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until finally the tribulation and just, and you give a, you, you're, um, sharing the gospel as a witness to the world, not necessarily because the world's going to be converted. And then the amillennialist position is that, I mean, it will grow. I mean, it'll be, it could possibly be a tremendous growth all over the world of Christianity. It would make sense, um, if it was, but the, um, the people who were promoting post-millennialism earlier, um, and this is from um, James Bettner's book, um, it was printed in 1958, and I was reading one of his um, things, and he's a post-millennialist, and he was saying that uh, the world's going to get better and better and better, and in 1958 he was writing this, and he says, and we see it, and so what do we see around us to make us think that the world is getting better and better, and this is what he put in 1958, one, there's more wealth and less poverty. Okay, but we I think we've seen today that um, wealth can be a soft curse. Wealth is not necessarily a blessing on people. Things that can be blessings end up turning into curses if you worship the, the gift rather than the giver. Um, two, the, the U.S. spent more on foreign aid than it ever had. So in 1958, he saw, look at this, we're spending all this money to help other countries. This is a good thing. Well, you see how forces of evil can use that in manipulative political ways. Um, three, more wealth consecrated for the service of the church than ever before. And so he sees this as, a, as a, a great thing. There's more wealth consecrated for the use of the church. More people are giving more money to the church than they ever have in the history of the world. It's like, okay, that's kind of changing now. And even if it is not changing, it's being in the service of itself rather than the service of um, the growth of the kingdom and of um, Christians around the world. Four, um, Bible published in many languages and um, distributed, and that's that's that is that's something there now. That's a in the and he didn't know about the smartphones and you can or the little SIM cards you can take these things out places and even people don't have electricity you can wind up one of those uh, 
radios and you listen to the word of God being read in their language. One of the work of um, the Wycliffe and Jars, they do to get missionaries out there. Um, five, the gospels broadcast by radio all over the world. You know, how much more so with the internet today? Six, the number of theological seminaries. It's like, okay, that's great, but look what happened to seminaries. There are very few seminaries. There's more and more today that are um, orthodox, that are conservative, that are actually believe the Bible and preach the Bible, but we've seen that just because you have seminaries doesn't mean that they're actually teaching the Word of God as the Word of God. And then he says um, thousands and thousands of churches have been established. Okay? The number of churches are growing. It's like, okay. And so these, he was living in a time when he saw this tremendous growth of Christianity and everything was looking good to him. Um, tremendous growth in church membership. He said church membership was up to 60% of the people. And he goes back to the founding of the country and it's like there weren't really that many people had actual membership in churches then. And it was growing the numbers. So today we see it it's shrinking. Um, you know, what would he write now? And he says, and liberalism will not grow. <laughs> Sorry. Liberalism will not grow because modernism has nothing positive to offer. Um, nine, all of the false religions are dying. Um, Christianity alone is able to grow and flourish under modern civilization, while all the others will soon disintegrate when brought under its glaring light. It becomes very clear that Christianity is the future world religion. It, and now he says, but it's slow. And I don't want to mock him here because, I mean, a lot of this stuff is. And I'm not denying that possibly this, you know, the Christianity will take off, but maybe not in the, the vision in which he was seeing it like this. He says it's slow because Christians have not taken the Great Commission seriously. Amen. I mean, that's, if the, if the world does get worse, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, every believer can go out and, and share the gospel until they bleed from their eyes. And unless the spirit is in it, um, it's not going to do any good. So you can't necessarily blame a lack of evangelism. But it's possible what the spirit uses is a lack of evangelism. And what I see today is a lack of evangelistic zeal. Yeah, I know. You're in 1958. You're all excited. <laughs> so um, Amy said, well, that got hit wrong. Um, a thousand years is symbolic. And okay. So I made another little post there. So... Um, yeah, so in the, in the post, the spiritual warfare with the saints, um, it's a spiritual it's a spiritual warfare. Evil will it will be demonstrated at the end how evil evil is. That's why Satan is let loose for a while. Um, and then after the the millennium, you have the final resurrection and the judgment takes place. Let's see a couple of notes here. The kingdom of God is now being extended in the world through preaching of the gospel and the saving work of the Holy Spirit and the world will eventually be Christianized and the return of Christ will happen at the close of the long period of righteousness and peace called the millennium. So, I mean, I mean it would be awesome if we had a long period of righteousness and peace um, because, you know, it's not what we see right now, but God is in control of these things. But I think, so what are we going to do as believers? So what, as Amy would say, you know, so what's, why do we care about all this end time stuff? Well, because it's what do you do with it? And I think what a large section of the church does with this is to, is to batten the hatches. What's GTG? Oh, got to go. Bye. Um, you know, there's like, everything's getting.
oh my goodness, everything's... And I don't mean to mock people. I really am not. But in way in, in way of exaggerating and caricaturizing the position, let me just do it for a second. <laughs> Look how awful it is getting. God's coming back soon. Look how... I mean, look around. Look, look at violence. Um, things that God has said are is bad. People are calling good. Things that God calls good, people are calling bad. Uh, mocking God, lovers of self. I mean, you go through the list, the Ten Commandments, you know, the whole thing. And, um, and then the worse it gets and the more stress we're putting under. I mean, we're not in a war, physical war, like a lot of people were, where you had death and, and dying and all these things. Um, but, you know, you look at it and you just want to say, you know, God's going to come put an end to this. And it's like, and he is. There will be new heavens and new earth. But maybe not right now. Maybe, I mean, imagine living back during the bubonic plague or world war one world war two or you're in the concentration camp so you're you know all these things and so you're thinking you know amen come lord jesus come quickly and that's what we do pray for but the war is not over and it may not be over for a very long time and so what we are to do as a church is to go forth the great commission like we're going to win because we're going to win, but it's like God has a plan, and God is in control, and he knows what he's doing. So let it not be said that if the church, if the if, if evangelism fails, let it not, let it, how to put that, because the word of God will accomplish the purpose of God. If the church doesn't grow, let it not be on our shoulders. Let it be, we did everything we could, and, and as far as we can, let us, as Spurgeon, I think, let us, you know, if men are going to go to hell, let it be over our bodies being flung in front of it, so that they might, you know, to stop them from going. But you got to love people, and you have to love your enemies. You have to be able to demonstrate that. You have to look different in the world. You got to figure out how to do that. Um, it's very interesting, especially with these invisible enemies that we have attacking us right now. It's very, very interesting. Um, the the um, the COVID nineteen the virus. It's like um, you can't see it. It's invisible. And yet we're supposed to stay inside. Somebody might have it, but you don't know who has it. And then you got you know, the racism thing. It's like, it's invisible. You can't see it. You don't know who has it. But it might manifest itself. You don't know. I mean, it's all invisible stuff, you know? And so it's like, what are we supposed to do? And these are powers. You know, it's like, I'm not saying that um, a virus is a spiritual power or that racism is a spiritual power, although that's a, a demonic thing. Um but you can't see it. It's these unseen things that really get us. You know, we're afraid of the dark. You know, we hear things that go bump in the night. Who is a great, there's a great, um, oh, what's that TV show? The, 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 the outer Limits, not Outer, what's the other one? Not Outer Limits, it's the, um, do, 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 do. Twilight Zone. This is the Twilight Zone. They had a great episode where it's like this. They see this, um, this is 1950s when Bettner was writing. See this alien spaceship lands in a distance or something they think it is. And everybody's like, and then they, they get this impression that they've, they've been invaded and that there is an alien amongst them. That one of the people in the neighborhood that have been living there forever is an alien, actually. And they start going, who could it be? And who could it be? And then they see the lights flicking on this one house. And they go running over there. So what's going on with the lights in your house? He's like, oh, no, you're signaling. No, I'm not and then somebody else and they run over this guy and they run over that guy and everybody's looking for who the alien is and um and they're destroying each other 
because they're all thinking somebody's an enemy, somebody's an enemy, and you can't see it. They look just like us, but we're going to get them, and they go from one person to another, and it just ends where this whole neighborhood is just chaotically being destroyed. And then at the last scene, it cuts to the to the aliens. There were, there were aliens, and they're in their little spaceship, and they're observing all this on their cameras, and they're like, see how, I, I need to watch it and learn, see what the line is, but it's like, see how easily manipulated they are when they have fear of the unknown. You know, it's just like, they're just, they just, they were the ones flipping the light switches and doing these other little things just to try to manipulate them. And, you know, demonic forces do that, you know, and you don't know who the racist is. You don't know who has the, the virus. You don't know um, what's in people's hearts. You don't know what's in people's hearts. The human heart is deceitfully wicked. We all share that. And that's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the love of Christ. That's why we're called to love one another, give grace one another. Um, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to stay firm in the faith, to keep your feet planted firmly on the rock of Christ Jesus, and all these things. Don't impute motive to people. Don't impute motive to people. It's in our confessional standards. Why do people do the things they do? It's either out of sin or because the Holy Spirit is motivating them to do things. And by the grace of God and the common grace of God, this world has not fallen into utter chaos yet. Um, I took trash out to my road. I took trash out. I went to bed. I went back out there, and it, it was empty of trash. I rolled it back to my house. It was amazing. Things work. So they're not working too good right now, but that's our fault. So pray for this world. Pray for yourself, the gospel, and let's all evangelize like we're going to win because that's what we're told to do and Christ says um, read the book of Revelation I don't want to give it away but Jesus wins kind of what it's about alright God bless I got a few minutes to do my 357 it's a good one I was encouraged last night uh, pray for me I pray for you everybody's you know come on <laughs> there's a lot going on so you know it is comforting to know that this will come to an end but it may not come to an end during our lifetime so spend your life well um, make sure you hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Get it in the Word. Get in a good church that believes the Bible, preaches the Word, and um, and stay in it. And if you get a problem with it or anybody in it, work it out. If it's the, and if you can't work it out, then love them. And um, by the grace of God, find a church where where you can do it. But um, you know, we we need to be strong as a church. We're 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 the last hope. We're it. We're the institution God has placed in this world um, to preserve it. If we're not working, it's not happening. So, all right. That's all I got to say about that. God bless.